Howard Lindzen is the founder and general partner at Social Leverage. All opinions expressed by Howard and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Social Leverage or StockTwits. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for decisions. Guests may maintain positions and securities discussed in this podcast. Kay Hey, Mr. Howski. How are things on the coast? Yeah, it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood of San Diego, Coronado, where it's very quiet. This is usually the busy time of the year, but it's a... Have they, have they closed the border to Arizonans now, or what's going on? No, I think I, I was planning to come back today, just for a couple of days to hang. But uh, at the last minute, got uh, the call that, eh, don't schlep home. <laughs> Stay away. We don't want you here. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, twist my arm. <laughs> and so Rachel and I are still here in Coronado. Rachel's working downstairs. Ellen's back and forth. Phoenix, Max is back and forth. He's working. So nice. San, everything's closed. San Diego's very closed, but you know the sky is blue and the streets are empty and I'm making the best of it. Have you gone swimming today? I don't swim in the beach. I'm still Jaws. What? The movie Jaws, the movie Jaws has still scared me out of the ocean. You got all that water and you don't go swimming? Are you crazy? No. Yeah. Oh, well. I'm, uh, I'm uh, not a swimmer. I'm a swimmer pretty good swimmer but i don't swim in the ocean it's cold and i'm a shark mate <laughs> the uh so today we're gonna just go really chill with my friend tom Lydon. and tom is the etf maven he's the uh, president of global trends investments and he's the uh, editor and founder of etftrends.com you know this trend of etfs and individual stocks versus ETFs and Robin Hood versus the robos. And Tom sits at the center of all this, you know, he's kind of a neutral bystander, but an early believer in the ETF trend. His 25 years experience in asset management began at Fidelity. So perfect guy to kind of explain the world, this trend and kind of argue with over uh, what people should do. And so we're going to get him on the phone right away. How's that? All right. Let's do it. Touchdown, Tommy Lydon. Welcome to Panic with Friends. Hey, Howard. It's a pleasure. How are you? It really is a pleasure, no? <laughs> well, it is. And uh, I was hoping I was going to hear the Manscaped promo because uh, I'm a big fan. You're a big fan. What are you scaping? You're as bald as a cucumber. Well, no, I, I know, I know. But uh, like you say, hair starts coming out in, from all other places. And uh, <laughs> I, I, I had a I had a lawnmower before I even knew you were an investor. So, uh, again, I think that, that thing is just great. I, what I love is the headlight on the front. I mean, the big beaming headlight. It's like the tucker of trimming tools. It's just awesome. Yeah, the the kid who started is a San Diego boy. Where are you today in Cali? I'm in Huntington Beach, Surf City, um, and as you probably know it, as more public health experts per capita in Huntington Beach than any other city in the world, really. And is it because they have nothing else to do, or is it they truly uh, are public health experts? 
No, you, you know, uh, there's a, lo- a lot of protesting going on and uh, uh, people feeling certain ways about things without masks. So we're not going to get into that. We're not going to get political at all. But, um, you know, it's it's a bit of a concern for sure. So I don't go towards the pier when I'm running. Oh, what a bummer. Coronado, we just have lived a lucky, charmed year in the sense that Phoenix was well-behaved uh, yeah. for a certain point of time, and you had all that land and spacing, and supposedly we thought we were safe because of the sun and the heat. And then I drove to California, brought my COVID and all my germs over here, and sure enough, I didn't get it sick. And now everybody's sick in Phoenix. I'm one step ahead. I don't know where to you go You always next. have been. You always have been. <laughs> so not to jinx it, poo-poo, salt over my shoulder, I think uh, it's going to get us all I mean, it is a virus. We all get sick. Um, and uh, common sense has, uh, we've lost our common sense. So speaking of common sense, um, I gave a little background on you before I came on. What, uh, when was the aha moment for you? You were at Fidelity, but let's talk about it, what an ETF is just for, you know, the beginners in my audience. What is yeah, an ETF yeah. and what got, you, well, it, what, got, what got you excited about uh, this whole industry? So what got me excited is I went from Fidelity to uh, grow up in the Boston area, worked in Boston, ended up handling the West Coast in the uh, late 80s for the VP on the West Coast, ended up meeting a, a small company that had an investment newsletter and a fledgling financial advisory firm. Uh, they asked me if I'd ever consider moving to California after one of those nasty Boston winters, and I'm single in my 20s. I said, yeah, how quickly could I get out there? Um, we grew a, a decent money management business on trend following with mutual funds. And then after about 10 years, I started my own advisor. Uh, it was a family business and all the daughters were married, so I wasn't going to be part of the family. And as I developed my own practice, used trend following in mutual funds on a Schwab platform, it worked really well until you went to sell the mutual funds on the platform, the fund companies would say, well, we don't really want that hot money. And this was in the 90s. And what would happen is uh, they would just want money to come in. They wouldn't want money to go. They would track. They would report. And then these things called ETFs showed up, exchange-traded funds, which basically traded like stocks, but they were funds. In many cases at that time, they were all index-based. Very easy to track. Uh, you could put moving averages on them, and it worked really well for me. And I didn't have to report into mom every night whether I was buying or selling. Um, as time went on, more advisors were doing the same thing. And then after we got into 2000 and the 2000 2003 decline, um, it was funny because all these fund companies started coming back and said, "Hey, now you can use our mutual funds, and don't worry, you can trade from time to time." Well, the horse had already left the barn at that point. Those that had trend-following models, many in the early stages had shift, shifted over to ETFs. So around 2005, more people were talking about it. I started writing about it. And the more we wrote, the more people showed up. I mean, you know the, the website business better than anybody. And we built a community over time. So fast forward, uh, last year we merged with 
ETF database. Uh, the founder there also started Investopedia, Tom Hendrickson, and getting our companies together, all the traffic that we have collectively between the two sites uh, are pretty admirable. And the biggest thing I think is we have a lot of advisors that have come to this community and we focus solely on what their needs are. And, and they talk back and forth. They attend our webcasts. We survey them all the time. They tell us what they're looking for. We communicate well with the ETF issuers out there. Um, there are about 75,000 advisors of the 350,000 advisors that are ETF-centric and have enough money that we'd all want to pay attention to them. And we feel that over time we can help them do a better job with their allocation and their strategies um, and that type of thing. So, you know, you know the drill. It's all about content. And especially during these times, advisors need a lot of as much help as they can get, right? And what is the, what are you seeing in the Robinhood generation? I mean, I, I always thought we'd swing back towards unbundling the market. And what are you seeing happen in this kind of renaissance of do-it-yourself? Maybe it's just COVID and it'll go away once sports starts. But, you know, let's assume Robinhood's here forever. What, uh, how does that change the industry, do you think? Yeah, it's it's not going to go away, and it's great. And and you th just think about uh, all the investors, especially younger investors who are getting into it for the first time. And it, it's great that they can participate. So, um, so full disclosure, the Jets ETF is talked about a lot on Robinhood. Um, I've been on the corporate board for U.S. Global, which owns the Jets ETF, and. It's done amazing things for that company. So U.S. Global, publicly traded, ticker symbol GROW, G-R-O-W. Um, before this year, their assets were about $500 million. Now they're knocking collectively on $2 billion in assets because of all the popularity of Jets and GoAU, which is, is their gold ETF. It, it's it's game-changing. Are, are those investors right? Did most of them make money in that? If if they're early on, and I imagine over time we saw evidence today that the government's more committed to provide a backstop for airlines, they're probably going to do quite well. So we know that through Robinhood, more investors, especially young investors with smaller amounts of money, are learning about investing, and hopefully they'll set them on the right path. And you know what? If they end up losing that's okay. You learn from that as well. I mean, I think we learn more from our losses than our gains, but uh, it, this environment has been great for young, new investors, especially they've had the time, they've had volatility to take advantage of as well. So it's a great thing. It's, it's a great thing for investing. It's great for ETFs. That's interesting about Jets. So you, so you guys sit in those meetings and try and figure out how to package, because really it's a packaging company now, ETFs, no? I mean, the fees, yeah. what is the tolerance for fees? What's like a range of fees on ETFs? And what should investors accept as, as fees? Well, I, I was looking forward to getting into that with you because, you know, fees have gone to zero. In many cases, you've got uh, you know, S&P 500 fees that are two, three, four basis points. SPY is nine basis points. So um, for traditional indexes, it's single-digit basis points, basically free, right? Um, and then 
when you get into international or thematics, they may be in the 20 to 30 range. Now there's also active strategies that are in 60 uh, basis point range. But really, compared to mutual funds, Howard, I mean, that's really the competition. So there's still, what, $17 trillion in mutual funds, $9 trillion in equity mutual funds. Thank God, half of the money in in equity mutual funds is actually uh, index-based right now. But the fact that over 90% of active managers on the mutual fund side have underperformed their benchmarks over the last 15 years, there's still a lot of room for improvement. There's only a little over 4.2 trillion in all of ETFs right now, just to kind of set the stage for comparative purposes. So uh, ETFs provide a lot of choice, uh, and they've really moved from pure beta, low-cost strategies to now. A lot of the conversation is on sectors. You talk about the sectors a lot, thematic strategies, and especially in the world that we're in today. A lot of these new thematics are popping up, whether it be, you know, robotics or cloud computing. Um, this new work from home ETF just launched in the last 30 days. It's already got $60 million in it. Um, you would look at the lineup of stocks and say, yeah, I got that one. I've got that one. I've got that one. For investors that don't necessarily have the time to do all the research and watch it day to day like you do, uh, there are a heck of a lot of choices out there. And are most ETFs market cap or, or even how do they weight? What's, what, what should expectors try and understand? Oh, sorry. What should investors expect from an ETF? Like just no one's doing the work. So where, where, where do people do the work on this? What are generally accepted ETF principles? Are they market cap weighted? Or are they equal weighted? So uh, the, the vast majority are index-based market cap weighted. You know, you, you look at areas like, the you know, SPY uh, and all the S&P 500 ETFs um, account for hundreds of billions of dollars. Uh, the QQQs, for example, uh, I think there's about $80 billion there. However, there are also some alternatively weighted strategies, uh, equal weight strategies. Um, they're factor strategies. You could go in and get a variety of different value-oriented or quality-oriented or dividend-oriented strategies. So when you think about the traditional investment strategies that we've heard through academics for years, you can go in and pick those out in a variety of different forms if that's a strategy that you're looking for. And it sticks to that certain discipline. Um, And they have index-based strategies backed by index committees. Most of the uh, folks that you would know, uh, you know, S&P, MSCI, w- with a whole other cast of um, index providers out there, time-tested, rules-based, they do really well. However, um, we're starting to see more interest in active strategies. The difference is, um, that's, that's, the, the big concern has been active management with an ETF and having it fully transparent. So for, I'll, I'll give you an example. Uh, Kathy Wood with ARK Invest. I think many people have heard about her. She's been big pro on Tesla in the last three or four years. Their ETFs have moved from $3 billion just six months ago to about $10 billion now. And they have a wow. multiple, yeah, multiple strategies, and they're doing a well, great she job. Couldn't, yeah. She couldn't. It's like a fund. She couldn't have done that. Sorry, Taco. She couldn't have done that unless she went all in. Like, I mean, she did bet 
in a way, no different than a hedge fund. And, and I'm not knocking it because she's now got $10 billion. Um, but she did end up taking outsized risk like a hedge fund would yeah. uh, to get yeah. above the crowd. So if you're betting on her, you're still betting on stock picking, no? Correct. You are. And, and what's happened here, Howard, is this. Last 10 years, you know, at the end of the financial crisis, there was $600 million in ETFs, right? Uh, I'm sorry, $600 billion in ETFs. Now, uh, $4.2, $4.3 trillion. During that past 10-year wow. period, if you bought the S&P 500 or had a 60-40 allocation, uh, or if your advisor did that for you, you did okay. You had, you had no regrets at all. But today, the world might be a little bit different, right? Passive, be it active for a long period of time, probably things are going to re- revert back to the mean. We're probably going to yeah. have people that are going to do a better job picking stocks. I mean, we've got sectors that are damaged. They're damaged goods, you know, energy, you know, industrials, uh, financial services. Uh, they may not be back for a while. And why do you want real to own estate, all the certain parts yeah, of real, real estate? estate yeah. Sure. Yeah. Um, but in the S&P 500, you own all those. So I think now, especially financial advisors that are big fans of ETFs are saying, um, how do I break down these major market indexes and overweight into maybe those sectors that we feel more confident in? Um, or do I not buy those major market indexes and, and buy certain sectors or buy certain themes? Because more than ever, there's going to be pressure on financial advisors to do better and not just do what the market's doing, especially if the market's not doing that great. And then don't start talking about bonds, right? Don't even get me started. I, I'm 54 <laughs> years old. If, if I buy a bond, shoot me. Um, right. I, don't, I, I don't buy anything the old people are selling, and that's media, uh, that's bonds, that's municipal bonds. You know, I, Everything to me is bankrupt. Or the rich companies can borrow at zero, so I'll just take their stock. I mean, obviously, if interest rates go up and the politicization of the stock market ends, uh, you know, all bets are off. But in a world of every dollar for itself, uh, I think people are just being led to the slaughter in a 60-40 portfolio. They've had a good run. Uh, the last 10 years, everybody's, oh, 60-40. And I'm like, yeah. yeah, look at Warren Buffett versus the NASDAQ the last 10 years. So you, you can have it all you want, but there is an edge for people that just try and stay a little bit ahead of the curve. You don't have to be 10 years ahead of the curve. And I think now with COVID, we're seeing how fragile or anti-fragile, I don't know what the term is, how fragile this strategy was because everybody's got clicking the same button at the same time, 60, 40, 70, 30. And by that, I mean 70% uh, S&P, 30% bonds, however you want. And generally people were in the same kind of breakdown, S&P 500, uh, Wilshire 2000, and then, you know, some kind of uh, bond fund. And, 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 you know, as rates move towards being negative, some of the math doesn't make sense. And I certainly, I think COVID kind of just now, tipped the industry to say, wait a minute, what the hell's inside of this? Do I need to own 500 stocks when 400 of them might be in industries that could take two to three years to come back? Um, and yeah. so I don't know. I mean, this is, this is the exciting part for me. One thing I wanted to quickly talk about is Matt Levine, who really pushes buttons. He writes Bloomberg and talks about 
what bugs me, I can't, I don't have proof or I don't even know if it matters how basically it's like Larry Fink is the board member of the S&P of all corporate America because, you know, he uses the recent COVID vaccine as an example. He's saying, well, it's, you know, if they give it away for free, these public companies are supposed to trade for profit, the economy improves. And since BlackRock is really controls every S&P 500 company because they have you know, the most shares of every company, you know, what goes on behind those closed doors? Meaning, you know, hey, Pfizer, take one for the team. Uh, because the whole economy improved, and the and the if you go bankrupt, uh, it's still better overall for all of Black, you know, S and P five hundred. And I think we're hitting that kind of wall, where yeah, Matt, Matt Levine's ahead of the curve and he's not widely read, but you know, common sense wise, it totally freaks me out that yeah, yeah. we're not really a capitalist society at that level. When you've got to give your when Larry Fink's controlling the economy, even though he doesn't have a job per se, except saying, "Hey, take one for the team." Yeah, so um, you know there are a couple things here. I mean, a great example is is the government um, uh, buyback program with uh, bond ETFs. I mean, again, that's Larry, right? How come he gets the nod every time? Um, they've done a pretty good job of being fairly diverse with that. But guess what? Guess which ETFs? got more purchases than every, every, everybody else, uh, iShares, right? So I'm with you. Um, I think this is something that we have to pay more attention to. Um, obviously, in, in the ETF space and voting proxies, that's going to be another big uh, spotlight that's going to be on this industry as well. And we're not doing a, a good enough job there from a transparency standpoint. Um, I think that um, I know investors and advisors and institutions and the SEC is sensitive to all this stuff, but I'm with you. I think uh, we need to dig deeper and make sure that everything's above board because structurally, everything seems to be working. And when, when you look at BlackRock, and yes, it's such a, a huge monster. And well, really, when you look at the ETF business, and I'm not going to get going on, on Vanguard, but when you look at, you know, you got the three horsemen, which is BlackRock, Vanguard, State Street, again, 85% of the ETF business within those three companies, you would like to see a little bit more diversification. And there are these upstarts and midsize ETF companies that are coming at it a little bit more, which I, I think would also be great. Um, but we've got parts of our system are a bit archaic. I mean, you talk about uh, proxy system and how bad that is today. I mean, the fact that you can put a man on the moon in 1969, but we can't have an automated proxy system. You have to do with the mail and phone calls on home landlines that don't even exist anymore, right? Well, there's a monopoly, right? Broadridge. Yeah, Broadridge, yeah. $10 billion monopoly that demands that you print this shit out and mail it. And, and the cost, the cost of, is it's huge. No different. It's no different than uh, Fat Nixon saying, uh, you know, uh, mail-in fraud. You know, it, like Broadridge yeah. has been doing what Trump's talking about forever. And Larry and... So I'm, I'm a skeptic, right? Love ETFs, love the idea of jets, love the idea of barstool. Love the idea of people getting their head handed to them or making a fortune. Uh, that's speculation. That's the markets. I like low yeah. fees. 
Uh, I like the SEC to just do their job, like triple leverage ETFs. Come on, that's what options were created. And so, mm-hmm. you know, as someone who's been burned doing them, I think the SEC's job is to say, hey, handing people stupid products like this so that you can make your quarter, it sounds all fun and good until, you know, one of these goes from 100 to zero. That's why the options were created. That's why markets were created. So right. I think I yeah, really no, no. So, so first, hard- So first, yeah, I, I, I think... You know the whole VIX uh, situation. That was bad, that, and that, and that was bad, and nobody knew really what they were getting. And what's funny into. is they're shutting down now, quietly sulking away. Yeah. After, you know, when they've milked the milked this bitch for whatever they could. Now I'm I'm not yeah. a victim. I hate saying because I'm not saying I'm a victim. I'm saying the SEC has one job to do. No different than you know the government at some point protect people from themselves. You know, you can't save everybody, but protect people from themselves, right? And these three times, four times leverage products, you know, it just, no one's reading these prospectuses, just like no one's voting for proxies. So for the SEC yeah. to stick their head in the ground, they're not doing the basics. So uh, let me take so, the other side of that for for just a second, because first of all, most of the money that's in the, in the in, inverse and leverage ETFs a lot of that's on the advisor side. It, it, advisors have been using these for years. And more and more, you can just tell by the trading and the volume and the assets that are going in there, they know what they're doing. They know that they're rebalanced every day. Vast majority of investors understand that. So the big question is, uh, the SEC has been looking at it for a while, and they have not put any stops on it. So now within the industry, again, led by uh, BlackRock, and they brought all the, uh, the ETF issuers together to say, should we do something for the ETF industry to put some type of warning signal on these ETFs when somebody tries to buy them on their brokerage account? So, you know, you try to buy it and you, you go to hit the button and a skull and crossbones shows up on your screen and says, do you know what you're doing here? Um, that's really what the current proposal is right now. Is that really needed? Um, I'm not sure. I, I think in another case where the horse has left the barn, because this has been out there for a while, you're not seeing as many, uh, there, somebody tried a four times, you're not seeing as many three times. I think you're going to see some of the three times cut back to two times. And if you're smart in the way you manage money, is two-time leverage um, going to cause you to shoot yourself in the foot. As you mentioned, options, penny stocks, uh, investors will find other ways to hang themselves. I I think leverage and inverse ETFs are probably here to stay because there are enough smart people that are following them. I don't know, but I'm I'm listening to what you're saying. And what's the future look like? So you you take a step back, you're running ETF trends. What, uh, What is the future look like to you? So a couple of things. There are a bunch of companies that miss the boat on ETFs altogether, and now they're coming out with their own ETFs. Many are taking their actively managed funds, whether it be equity or fixed income, packaging those strategies up in ETFs and bringing them to market. However, in a license or a technology that's going to be non-transparent, like mutual funds, or equally as transparent as mutual funds, which means every 90 days. Uh, the big question is, once they finally hit the market, will they be popular? Now, they're starting to come out, and it's kind of a tough time with everything going on in the world today. But some of these big companies 
like Fidelity, like Leg Mason, uh, like T. Rowe Price, will be going pretty heavy in this space. And I think it'll be good for the market. It'll be good for them because it'll give their shareholders who are in the funds an opportunity to have something a little bit more modern, a little bit more tax efficient. It'll help build their brand to make them appear more forward thinking. So there's some positive things there. Jury's still out whether they're going to be successful. Uh, but I think we're going to chip away at that actively managed mutual fund number, especially with the lack of tax efficiency and expenses. On the other side, from a positive standpoint as well, actively managed strategies like we were talking about Kathy Wood, there's going to be demand for that because we really don't have any rock stars in the industry. When you think about it in the 80s and 90s, Howard, when we had Peter Lynch and you know Bill Miller, Jack Bogle, Bill Gross, there were some personalities there. Uh, we really need some personality, which gets me to the main point I wanted to make today. Howard, I think it's time for you to launch an ETF. <laughs> that would be the top. Uh, I, the ego, I, the, the, the daily stress of reporting, trying to beat the S&P leads people to do stupid things. As much as I think the S&P is flawed, I think... It's standing out there forources people to take risks. So I think I've, you're right. I think, could I do it? I've, got some, I've got some ticker symbols. I've got some ticker symbols. You ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Okay. All right. Uh, LNDZ, right? That would be good. <laughs> uh -huh. Okay. Uh, how about this one? HTWN. Hitman? Howtown. No. Well, oh, Howtown. You saw that. Okay. Yeah, Howtown. <laughs> Or, or how about ones? FOMO? No one's taking FOMO yet. Really? FOMO. That could be your how do, ETF. How do we get that? How do I right? how do I how do I reserve that? Is there is there like a place yeah, where I can no, reserve that? Yeah, absolutely. We we go to the New York Stock Exchange. Um, and I don't mean I'll, I can be your ETF pimp. I'll I'll be your ETF pimp. I'll I'll, I'll work on your ticker symbol. And also, we'll hook you up with one of these big ETF issuers where you just do the sub-advising. You don't have to do any of the plumbing or the board or all that stuff. You just make the decisions. And I would do 90% in one stock. Would that be acceptable? No, you can't do that. <laughs> Why can't I? As long as I disclose it, I could be wrong and you could... Yeah. It's better than hiding all my thing in this XIV thing where it's like, wait a minute, one day we could end up at zero... And yeah. we don't know what day that would be. I'd rather just have a fun where I'm like, no, I'm kidding about 90 and one. But I, I think what made Ark Kathy, what did she do that was just so interesting? Timing meets her track record meets what? what yeah, is well, it that I mean, made so she, she was, she, she, high conviction, as you point out. Um, she had, mm -hmm. she talked about Tesla a lot, but it was limited to 12% of any of her five or six ETFs. But she's got some other companies in there. She's big on uh, CRISPR. Uh, she was big on genetic sequencing, you know, biotech companies. She's big on robotics. Um, I mean, it, have you ever looked at her portfolio? Yeah, I see it. Yeah. I, I, uh, her, her financial one, I kind of yeah. pulled up today. So it's, but again, it's, it's really her brand. I mean, in the end, it's stock picking. And yeah. as much as I love stock picking, I prefer to just give it away than to actually manage people's money. I think 
I think the the one thing about the industry, and God bless her, is you got to take the good with the bad. You can't. It's yeah. very tough to do what Bill Miller and uh, uh, Peter Lynch uh, did over that long track record. So the way you do it with the subadvisor, when so how does that work? Eddie Affelbein did his own. Just refresh me on mm-hmm. how that works. Yeah. So uh, give you an example. Jeff Gunlock is a sub-advisor for an actively managed fixed income ETF for uh, State Street, right? So uh, you just make the calls. You work with uh, the AP, um, you work with the company where every day you check in and you can do this online as far as what your allocations are. I would recommend just because of your nature you share everything every day. Be fully transparent. That's what investors like about ETFs, that they can see what you own on a daily basis. That would show up on your website every day if you made any trades in, in your ETF. And um, all you'd have to do, I mean, for you, it's not a bit of a big stretch because there's so many people that know you would love to be able to mirror what you're doing. Even though you're giving it away, they don't exercise on it, you know? And I can see right now, Knut's just licking his chops because he's really excited about this as well. I'm writing everything no down. One, no one in Norway has ever started a business. They're just whalers and oil men. This would be the first entrepreneurial yeah. idea to come out of Norway since the 60s. But he's also a collector of fine art, though. <laughs> okay, you need a job, Tom. Fine art and fine <laughs> friends. <laughs> so, yeah, I think... The minute I decide to do that, everybody should get out of the market. I love the fact that I get to share. It's off my chest. I'm not telling people what to do. And uh, I know my limitations. I love investing in private companies and keeping my regular day life back to my own. I ran, I competed against the S&P for, I don't know, 15 years. And Mm -hmm. it made me do, it made me behave in ways that, uh, just didn't like myself. So I think that's just people being honest with themselves. They keep trying to suck you. What is it? The, the movie, they suck me back. And every time I'm out, they get me back in. And that's what the money management business is like, the mafia. And yeah. um, you just, the thrill of beating the S&P. And I've given up on that. I don't think the S&P is worth trying to beat. I think it's smart to try and innovate around it versus in trying to beat some index because the markets will take care of all that on their own. I think I worry that the S&P and the U.S. economy is a little bit rigged, right? Between the Fed, between you know two-party system, between BlackRock, Vanguard, and State Street having so much power. Um, I don't like what we've done. I'm just a champion of behavior in markets, and I really loved as much as I hated the pain of, of, April, of March, sure made sense that there was pain. You know, the economy was closed. Uh, I just feel like that's part of the pulse, you know, and the markets have kind of lost that. You know, we only see little glimpses of what markets are like because everybody wants, you know, VIX 10. Uh, well, if everybody wants VIX 10, why don't we just print money or VIX 8? Why don't we just print yeah. money and just put it in everybody's account? Let's all agree that everybody gets 8% on whatever they save every year. You know? Yeah. Why don't we go well, there well, already? I, I understand. And, and I think really what you're all about, and when you talk about the companies that you talk about on a regular basis, 
more people are listening because we're seeing it in the numbers. I mean, uh, you know, I saw this report today that Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Microsoft, and Google are up 35% year to date. And if you remove them from the S&P 500, the S&P would be down five or 6% year to date, and it, where it's up Correct. only up 2%, right? So, and, and we could talk about Tesla and inclu- inclusion in the index, but you could list five other companies that you've been on for a while that aren't in, in the major indexes, right? So we need to start diversifying away there. We need to start thinking about uh, living longer. We need to prepare our clients to live longer. 60, 40 portfolios and people retiring at age 65, that, that's not sustainable, right? Good point. So Good point. We need to do more to future-proof portfolios and the companies that you're looking at and the way that you talk about them and analyze them I think we're going to have more money shifting over there. Or if I'm an advisor and I'm not looking at these areas, I got to expect that my clients are going to leave because I'm not going to do a good enough job for them because I'm not making money for them in the bond market. And and there's one other point I want to throw out. You know, your being in in the venture capital world is something that many individual investors are more and more interested in. But anything that's off platform for investment advisor clients makes them nervous because they can't control it. So things like um, venture capital, things like collectibles with what you're doing with Rally Road or what we talked, what you talked about with Masterworks, uh, crypto. We've done a lot of surveying with advisors on crypto and they have a huge amount of their clients that are interested in them, but because there aren't available in ETFs, they're not touching it. As soon as is they become available, which hopefully that'll happen at one point in time, we'll start to see that in. But we have to have advisors more comfortable going into some of these alternative areas and strategies. But we need people like you to kind of help guide us, Howard. And should thank you? Should everybody have an advisor? What's your what's your uh, bullish bearish feel on advisors? I have my own take, but I want you to go first. Yeah. Well. Um, I think for if somebody is has a career that's not in the financial business, you need an advisor because you're not going to be able to put the time and effort into it. Fortunately, I think in your case, you're doing it yourself. And and that's that's wonderful. Do you have an advisor? I have many. I, I have family office. I have yeah. an advisor. I have somebody I trust to help look at my insurance. I'm like a... Uh, I'm not a one size fits all. I have an expert network around me and I'm happy to pay. Yep. I always tell people, listen, if you can afford it, pay for it. Listen, uh, get some. But opinions. you're the quarterback, yeah. right? You're the, you're the quarterback. You're yeah. making all the calls, right? So, so somebody, usually most wealthy people who are busy, they need a quarterback. They need an advisor. But advisors are somewhat limited and they need to start reaching out into some of these other areas. And and these are some areas that you talk about regularly. I mean, the public markets are, are great as long as you can participate. But in, in some cases, you can't. And more and more, it looks like there's huge advantages in the private markets. You know, I listen to you talk about it all the time. And as I'm talking to my friends and peers, it's, it's something they're interested in. And so, and what about you? Where, how do you, and I, sorry, I'm, I'm bullish on advisors, I think. Just like any industry, travel agent, uh, tickets, anything ticketing, uh, we're seeing it now in a lot of areas where robots have taken over. I think 
uh, that's just an opportunity for good advisors that really build a network of smart people around to really kind of offer good service. So I think it's kind of a bull market for advisors, but at the same time, there's too many um, or not enough, depending on how you look at it. But, you know, people are going to have to, this industry is still very early days, which is why I love it. Like, that's why I've focused so much of my time on wealth management and pre-wealth, I call it, and and uh, the financial advisor industry. I got my license because I wanted to just see ground level what it was like. And um, it just feels like really, we could, I don't know what to blame it on. There's just so little innovation. It's like that Indian at the side of the road that has a tear every time I see a 60-40 portfolio. Uh, I, know <laughs> yeah. it, I know it works, but no one can really explain it to me just because it works. No. Yeah. You know, and, defi- and define working. I always like that. Well, it works. It's up 10% a year. I go, why is that acceptable? No one's asking yeah. the questions. Like, why is everybody but, doing the exact same thing? I just hate that. The challenges are going to be huge. Um, I, I, you know, Rick Edelman and, uh, you know, he's written a, a ton of books and we did a webcast last week and he taught, he said, if you live to be uh, into the year 2030, at that point, you've got a great chance to be living to a hundred years old. He said, you know, things like heart disease is going to be gone because you can get a scan and it costs you a hundred bucks. Uh, They're going to have many forms of cancer and cancer treatment down. Uh, People will just be living longer and they're not going to be prepared for it. And it's, it's scary because still I, I'm, I just turned 60 and I've got a bunch of my college friends that are retiring already. And first of all, I'd be bored to death, but second, I don't care how much money you put away. Do you put, have you put enough away for 40 years? I, I don't know. Yeah, I think I would say that in my, granted, I'm not institutional, but I would say 50% of my LPs, and these are seven to 10 year funds, are over 60 years old. So I find myself having to tell a lot of my LPs in their 70s, like, why are we talking? You're going to be dead halfway through my fund. I have to tell them they're going to be dead. <laughs> and then they get mad at me. Yeah. So uh, I now just send, sorry, you died emails to all my friends over 75 on their birthday, just in case they died. <laughs> The uh, and there's like some sick group email that goes around where they get to bet. There's like a blind pool where they send around famous people. Have you heard of this? There's like a draft. Yeah. As soon as like a famous person gets over 75 and they send out this email to like a thousand guys and they all bet on who they all get, get blind pool of who if that person dies that year they get a they get pot bet. Have you heard of that? <laughs> a, a little bit, but I want to get into it for sure. Um, <laughs> the uh, so I agree with you. People are going to live. I, you see the demographics, through the, the structure of these things. You know, I'm 54, and as much as I joke about my prostate and hair loss, like I feel good. I didn't think I'd feel this good at 54. So you know, 74 is the new 60, and 90 is the new 75. I guess if you live till 2030. So you know, zero interest rate bonds. If you're going to live for 30 years, make absolutely no sense. What you have to do, Howard, is you you have to continue to shake up the ETF industry. And I know um, you're you're a fan, but also you're critical as well. Uh, Just continue to speak loudly. Uh, You know, I can't thank you enough. About six years ago, uh, you came and spoke with downtown Josh Brown at my ETF boot camp, where you uh, introduced the F-bomb to the ETF industry, and they haven't been the same since. Uh, so it's it, it was great, but listen, uh, be more 
vocal about the ETF industry because we've got a lot of responsibility. We feel a lot of responsibility, but there's more challenges ahead and we need to continue to help advisors. We need to help individual investors because there's some uh, bumpy roads ahead for sure. All right, my man. Thanks for having me. By the way, F-bomb and FOMO, those would be my two tickers. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we got well, F-B-O-M-B or F-B-O-M and uh, and uh, FOMO. All right. Maybe I, maybe I, in another world, if I could find yeah, a subadvisor of my subadvisor. I also thought of one other, one other last one was CBNC, uh, CNBC backwards. Oh, I know you'd like that one. Yeah. That is- that is funny. God bless everybody. I'm just giving everybody a hard time. The uh, Thanks for coming on, Tom. I'm sure I'll see you soon. Yeah, I enjoyed uh, it, Howard. Thanks, Knute. Thank you, Tom. Appreciate it. Talk to you. Take care. K-Nut. Hey, hey, hey. Tom's too nice. He is a very nice guy. There is no very doubt about that. Super, super nice. Yeah, he's the Yule Brenner of ETFs. <laughs> Ninety oh percent of my audience doesn't know who Yul Brenner is. Just you uh, and I are just yeah. dating each other. Well, I like the name of his uh, of of your or your of your ETF, FOMO. Yeah, FOMO's not bad. Tom mm-hmm. is uh, a really good marketer. Really understands the industry, so it's fun to pick his brain. A lot of opportunity out there. That was the point here. Is like this industry. Um, there's been so much aggregation. Too few big names at the top of a world that's this important. And I think we're getting, as I said, with Robin Hood, it took forever, but we're getting this unbundling of uh, just too much power in too few hands. So it'll be right. interesting next 10 years. Hopefully hopefully that made sense to you. Did it make sense to you at all? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no, it okay. makes a lot of sense. All right, buddy. Everybody, uh, this is Panic with Friends. You can go to Spotify twice a week, Knut and I doing these, talking to smart people in the investing, founders, venture capitalists, operators uh, in the financial services, people that trade, uh, talking about panic, talking about trends. Uh, go to Apple, hit the uh, subscribe button. I have a free blog, howardlinson.com. Thanks for StockTwits, for uh, distributing and being the uh, sponsor slash promoter slash backer of uh, putting this on twice a week with Canute. And uh, we will uh, be back in a few days. Thanks, Knut. Thank you, Howard. See you.